Hello, my name's Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book artist and very nice chap, Martin B. Law Becky, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada, and the good old USA at www.getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. On a side note, Comic Scene have launched a Kickstarter for a major new project called The History of Comics 1930-2030. to Each prestige format book covers one year of comic book history. The first four books cover 1984, 1977, 1950 and 1986. With 24 days left, the campaign is fully funded, but if you'd like to get a slice of history yourself, be sure to check it out by either searching for Comic Scene as one word on Kickstarter or by simply clicking the link in the show notes. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Martin B. Law Becky. How's it going? Hi, I'm, I, I'm doing all right. How about you? Yeah, not bad. I'm glad the sun's out, isn't it? Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Good thing it's nice and hot where you are. Yeah, uh, yeah, but hopefully not too hot, so so I don't have to have the fan on to cause any problems. Yes, yeah, the audio problems. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I think yeah. it's a bit hot. Get a bit hotter next uh, in the next few days, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see yeah. if we can survive it. Um, but uh, yeah, firstly, hopefully. Martin, thank you so much for coming on on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, it's no problem. In fact, I'm glad to be here. Great. Uh, now, our paths crossed at a Comic-Con, gosh, what was it? I think it was last year, year NiceCon 2019. Yeah, That was it, wasn't it? Um, so mm-hmm. um, it was really good to become aware of your work um, yeah. uh, at that at NICE. And then uh, following you on Twitter um, and mm-hmm. whatnot, um, it's been great to see to see what, what you've been up to um kind of in terms of science fiction and things like that you have a very uh, yeah. unique style which i think is is um is fantastic i think it's really yeah as i said it's really unique mm-hmm. and i think i think yeah, it's absolutely great um so people should mm-hmm. definitely go follow you on twitter um those links from yeah. the show notes and and you'll give a shout out to those mm-hmm. uh, later on but for anybody that hasn't come across your work just yet what do you do in the world of comics um I mainly work. I mainly do sci-fi and post-apocalyptic illustration visuals, um, almost like uh, visual storytelling. Um, I've started recently getting back to doing comics around 2017, when, as I just been doing my usual uploading of sketchbook work and illustrations, I was emailed uh, by a independent comic writer named rick quinn who took also took interest in my work and we did our first collaboration which was my first comic since i last one i did was probably around uh 2016 which was called the first this comic me and rick had done is called the ghost butterfly which was a quiet silent narrative post-apocalyptic tale with minimalistic panels um 
but that was our first collaboration and also just kind of restarted me doing independent comics and just work collaborating with Rick and some other writers as well and just been making comics since after 2017. That's awesome man and where can people find you online? Um, they can find me mostly on Twitter and Instagram at the moment under the tag both named as Merton, which is spelled as M-Free-R-T-Y-N. Perfect. And as I said before, those links were in the show notes. So go check out Martin's work. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, now, uh, all of that aside, unfortunately, Martin, I do have some bad news for you. And that is Aww. that there is an asteroid headed right for us. Um, oh, so my, my question for you uh, is what is your action plan for survival in the run-up to the impact and also post-impact? Hmm. It's funny. Um, I hope that possibly the UN will come up with some plan that would enable selected, not allow people to volunteer to be like a team of survivors in like designated bunkers. And hopefully I can be one of those bunkers and then wait it out till the impact happens. And then when the impact happens, I've been playing a lot of Death Stranding, so um, I might just reassign myself as a delivery man for just to make sure to try to reconnect other surviving settlements and hopefully just do that. And hopefully they'll still keep some art supplies around in the bunker so I can still do some drawing. <laughs> Definitely fantastic. So just just a, just a case of uh, hoping that the UN will, will save most of us uh, and out in a bunker. Yeah, hopefully they have some. Hopefully there's some secret bunker lying around in Northampton. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, in the in the secret bunker near Northampton, um, mm-hmm. you you managed to get in, uh, and yes. and you know you're just drawing away on the on the art supplies that they managed to salvage, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody just looks over your shoulder and is interested in what you're doing. And you get chatting about comics. And then they ask okay. you, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Um, I think my first comic I can remember enjoying are, is probably the Tintin comics. But the one in particular was uh, was the Cigars of the Pharaoh. Because as a kid, I um, was kind of obsessed with ancient Egypt. <laughs> like going to <laughs> museums, checking out all the cool ancient Egyptian stuff, getting like Lego with Egyptian themes. And like if there was, I think there was some fancy party, like kids fancy dress parties. And I got my parents to make me like a pharaoh outfit or a mummy outfit. <laughs> so, but I think as well with, I think I really liked the art style of Tintin as a kid. And I think mm. that it did inspire some of my art styles in the development and all of that as I kind of developed myself as an artist. And I think as well, because with like Tintin and all of that, at a very young age, I was uh, diagnosed with autism and I used to have a lot of troubles like reading like worded books and all of that, just couldn't focus. Mm -hmm. And I found comics to help me read as the kind of the visual storytelling helped me understand some of the dialogues and the events that were happening, stories and all of that. That's fantastic. And and at this time, were you drawing yourself? Uh, yeah, I was. I was drawing ever since as a young kid and all that. Just kept doodling and all of that. And um, mm. and um, I just try to think. But yeah, so I just kept drawing and like throughout school. And then when I'd um, 
finish GCSEs, I'd um, I tried to apply for like an art course at a co- at my local college. I think it was fine arts at the time, but they um, weren't considering me because I was more of wanted to do more cartoony kind of stuff. But and they were trying to explain to me like we do a lot of fine arty stuff, and so they kind of recommended me to do a um, graphic design course. So just kind of did my artwork through studying graphic design and then just took a illustration course at uh, at the you know at Northampton University as well and just kind of just been developing my art since then that's great man um and and when did you uh feel like you know you want to get into being a comic artist um I think it was probably when I think it was around when I was studying my graphic design and just felt like I really want to try and just make comics and all of that. So I did a mm. comic as my final major project at universe at both at awesome. college and university, mm. um, which I learned a lot of things when doing that. And I didn't, it's, it's funny looking back on it. It's not my greatest work, but I think during all of that, I just learned to how learn more of how to make comics and, and get better at it. And that was, no, it was, it was really good doing all that. Oh, totally. And, that, and that's all part of it, you know, mm-hmm. is, is is living and learning as you go. Um, yeah. But uh, no, that's fantastic that you were kind of uh, came to that epiphany uh, during during university yeah. life. Um, and uh, yeah, so it looks like you've been going from strength to strength ever since. Because uh, yeah. you did you did manage to get into the uh, Pipe Dream uh, comics top 10. Yeah, I was, last I was year, really was surprised. So well done. Thanks. Yeah, I was really surprised when that, I think it was just like, it just kind of happened. No one really told me it happened. I think it was, um, <laughs> I think on Instagram, uh, I think this other fellow comic creator, um, I think I try to remember his name. He, I think he recently did the comic called Harvest and um, right. I can't remember his name, but I think he like I commented on one of my recent Instagram posts and he just goes, oh, congrats on the Pipe Dreams comic chain. I'm like, wait what and he's mm-hmm. like yeah your your comic's been picked as one of the top one of the top top comics of 2009 indie comics of 2019 i was like oh cool so, <laughs> awesome yeah man but, it's well deserved man it, it looks thanks. great yeah um it was interesting doing the i think that i think the comic that was nominated it was called a uh, earworm which was a really interesting um story that because that was also been done by uh written by rick quinn as well and um he and he was um milton lawson did the co-script for it and it was just um a really interesting it was a really good collaboration on with those writers and um and i think also the letter uh trying to remember the um because we we got this uh we had the um letter uh oh Try and remember his name. Give me a second. <laughs> um, it, it'll, it'll come back. Because I, I think he wrote uh, Hassan Osate El Hau. I, okay. I might have pronounced that wrong, but um, he um, he did the lettering, and I think he did a really good job of incorporating his lettering into into the artwork that I put in that I did for that comic, and it was just just an inter- It was a really interesting collaboration, and just some really inter- uh, some really good experimental styles were put into that work. Totally, man. That's fantastic. So that's another one of your works. You go check out Earworm um, mm-hmm. when people get a chance. Uh, now, uh, moving on, the next question 
that comes yeah. up from from our random individual um, looking over your shoulder asks, uh, "What's the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most?" Uh, this is funny. This question it was really hard to pick a really funny one because um, I mostly read like not so happy stories or really funny <laughs> or like stories that have like overall funny elements so it was really hard to find but then I looked through and I found I remembered this really good uh short manga called uh Junji Ito's Cat Diary Yon and Moo um right. if you know if you're not familiar with Junji Ito he is <clears throat> a very well-known manga artist for mm-hmm. for horror so it, it was really interesting for this well-known horror com- manga artist to do a cat diary um, and it was just following the story of his life with his fiance who moved into a new house and his fiance wants to adopt these new cats, but he doesn't like cats. So he does this kind of funny blend of when he when there's like moments with the cats that he doesn't like, it's he draws them like really like horrifying and all of that. Right. Um but um, he um, but for some weird reason, with his fiance, he doesn't draw pupils in her eyes. Whoa, <laughs> so it's like, that's freaky. So, which it has this, it has some the unsettling elements of Junji Ito's work, but <clears throat> it had this surreal cu- humor and cuteness with the cats, with all of it, and it was just yeah. of him like just go, just essentially recording his his life with these these new cats that are into his life and all of that but no and it was just funny to read and he just like draws himself with really kind of warped distorted faces at occasions so it's just i just found like the the way it was written the way he drew himself and his wife with the cats it's just this i just found it quite entertaining and humorous to read Definitely, that's very funny, um, and I, I just love the fact that Junji Ito has managed to to get into the into the funniest comic, like be, be, being such such a master of of horror as he yeah. is. It's incredible that he, he's been able to pull that off. Um, but that, that's fantastic. Just looking at it uh, just now, it, it of course has the the, the classic Junji Ito uh, style where you've kind of got crazy like. Um, slight yeah. horror elements going on as you say kind of stretch faces and just you know shocking looks and things like that and the the the, the taking away a... of the pupils is really freaky yeah <laughs> and it's just i try to remember i don't know i think is i think there is in the book as well there is like these little like like interview segments with the with Jinji Ito and right. I think he talks about his wife saying that he she was not happy with him of how she, how he drew her in the book yeah, and uh, and um but no it's 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 a I found it as a quite a, probably one of my favorite comics that made me laugh quite out Definitely. loud I remember getting this from I think it was from Birmingham and then just reading it on the train almost like just just laughing with it so with just totally. some of the stuff that happens in it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, yeah, that looks like a, a lot of fun with uh, the classic Jinji Ito um, yeah. style. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the next question that comes up uh, is, what is okay. the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? 
Oh, uh, with this one, it was, it's because as well, like, this is almost the exact opposite problem, is like, I've got too many comics that have probably made me depressed. <laughs> but um, I think one that I decided to pick in the end was um, Gord Downey's and Jeff Lemire's uh, graphic novel collaboration on the book called Secret Path, and also came with the same name of the same album that Gord Downey did as like an album to go with the book. Right. Um, which it was um it was following the story about this um about a, a boy named Shani Wenjack, um mm-hmm. who was a First Nation child in Canada who was uh taken away from his family to be to learn essentially forced to learn English in these places which I wasn't I wasn't even aware of in Canadian history called uh residential schools I think the one he was sent to was a uh, Cecilia Jeffrey Indian Re- residential school and this was set around yeah. the year uh, I think this book was following around the event around around 1966 with this boy he mm. he escaped from the school and he was trying to find his way back home but he wasn't aware that his home where he originally lived with his family was 400 miles away mm, and he yeah. was <laughs> and he was trying to find his way back home from the school from this residential school and it's i remember just kind of i was not aware of this kind of history that canada had and it was kind of sad to hear what what they kind of what almost like i think colonials i think that's probably the best way of wording it Mm -hmm. they just kind of took these kids from their families and almost essentially ripped away their culture to try and get to integrate with their society but with this story it is mostly focusing on on this uh on chani who tries to find his way back home but sadly he never finds it and he dies it's from the book he just it's he just dies on trying to find his way home in the cold but what works really well in for the emotional is the album that Gord Downey composed for it so it was just watching just reading through the book while listening to the music that was made for it it was just uh, it's just a really good combination of of the two mediums to just make this powerful emotional effect on this almost like dark history of Canada which I was not aware of no I'm not I wasn't aware of that either um that's an incredibly powerful story um and it's good obviously to kind of raise awareness of these these types of things Mm -hmm. um but uh, I mean it's it's even cooler that you know you've got a soundtrack to it um Mm -hmm. that you can kind of listen to as you read it um and what's that experience like where obviously the the music's been purposefully created in order to accompany the book um it 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 does it's kind of it i'm just trying to think of the how to word this one for this question um but is i think with i think it just kind of with the music it kind of i would say it does because sometimes i feel like sometimes with comics they always sometimes there is you can bring emotion into an emotional feeling into books but sometimes I feel like when you add other mediums into it, almost kind of like movies with that soundtracks, I feel like it adds more to the the emotions that they mm-hmm. want to portray in the story. 
Yeah. And that's how I felt like that's how it worked with this. And I've I've always had interest with like comics and graphic novels having some form of music integration into it. Like I've yeah. always really enjoyed um Jeff Lemire's uh, Royal City comic series where each issue had a unique playlist that fit with the with the events that were happening in the book. And I think that's right. what kind of, and I think he wrote Royal City after Secret Path. So Jeff Lemire kind of sort of continued on with the mix of music and comic work, comic storytelling. Totally. That's really cool. I think mm-hmm. um, to, to, to kind of experiment with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because for, for, I, I'm sure for some people it'd be like, you know, just comics are comics and things, but it, yeah. it's, for 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 a lot of people you know they they don't mind experimenting kind of multi with multimedia like mm-hmm. where obviously you kind of you can have comics and music and kind of try and combine them and and kind of see what emotions that you can draw out of people and things i think that's really cool um and it's again something that something new <laughs> that i'm going to have to check out as well yeah <laughs> so, and I, it's, it's funny uh, no, it's a problem. It's just as well. I've I feel like with when I do my own comic work, I always listen to music when doing mm-hmm. doing my illustration work. So, and I felt like with some of the comics I've done in the past few years, I've able to kind of like the music I've listened to kind of inspired some of the styles and artwork into that as well. So I always found an interest with the the kind of like combining music and art to, like vis- comic visual comics drawing and music to try to trying to create something unique with it yeah definitely that's a really good point the fact that you know we're, we're all inspired by music like mm-hmm. regardless for the most part um and yeah why not combine the two um is a is a really yeah. great way to do it it's kind of yeah making me think perhaps i should uh think about trying to incorporate some sort of music into into any of my uh, future comics i think that'd be interesting oh, to try out <laughs> i look forward to see if you ever do that <laughs> thanks man uh now uh moving on to our next question uh what is the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read um it's funny i think i'm gonna have to go back to jinji ito with the mm-hmm. first book i ever found and read by him which was mm-hmm. called uh jayo mm-hmm. which which was the first i would say the first ever comic slash manga that legitimately terrified me sure i think i got this a few a few years back i think i saw it in in like a bookshop and just like initially looked at the cover and like oh this looks really interesting and then like just flicked through it quickly not really paying attention to what the story was like oh this is really nice art line art take it home give it a proper read and i'm just like I'm going to put this away and yes. pretend I did not read that. But it was, it was, um, I just found the artwork for Junji Ito and also his way of storytelling of just like immediately like start reading it. And it just immediately puts you unsettled with his reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but with Geo, it was um, a really weird story where it was about, I think this, this guy and his girlfriend, uh, they go to like a coastal town to ju- like for a holiday. But her girlfriend's a bit, a bit of a brat, and um, she's complaining about the smells on this from this coastal town. But then a sudden, they both kind of get attacked by these weird, rotting fish on mechanical legs, yeah. and um, and it just and it just keeps and it just escalates from there and it, and also I never thought stink lines would be used as a horror element for this book, 
But um, I've always had an interest in Junji Ito's way he drew and because I felt like sometimes like with horror comics, it's just you're trying... I feel like sometimes it's mostly people try to use mostly like gore or really horrific looking stuff to try and as that, but but not really kind of have a almost like psychological unfeel, uneasy feeling. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I just feel like Junji Ito ha- does a really good job of just overall making you feel unsettled with his stories, even if it doesn't use gore. He, I know he kind of uses like gore for it but he kind of uses like body horror and like kind of almost like surreal like doing proper like surreal twisted imagery to kind of almost create an uneasy feeling on that as well definitely i mean you know he's obviously a, a formidable talent <laughs> in this yeah. in this space and uh yeah it's it, it's one that kind of comes up um you know almost almost half half the time um because it's it's so impactful his art style and his way of storytelling as well so yeah it's a it's a fantastic combination mm-hmm. yeah and i just it is just i i remember seeing his original drawings for the uzumaki books um for at uh at the british museum from last year's manga exhibition which were really impressive seeing the original seeing those original drawings and how he's done them as well it's just insane what he does it is um i mean the the line art that he's able to create is just incredibly complex isn't it um yeah and yeah it, it does boggle the mind how you know uh somebody is able to actually kind of do that <laughs> yeah just and just like i said just kind of like leg- like put legit horror in in these in his in his works i would yeah, say as, as well 100 well, percent, definitely mm-hmm. uh now we come on to uh my favorite question and that is okay. what is your favorite cover oh this one was the easiest it is mm. the um issue one of zero by um um artwork was done by michael walsh which is this is for cover a of zero but what I think really stood out is not the artist himself. It's the graphic designer that worked on the actual style of the comic. His name is Tom Muller, right. which I like re- like in recent years, I think he's one of my most favorite and most inspirational graphic designers of just with my, just kind of to look at and read. And he does really unique and a great job on the comics, graphic design work he's done for comics as well especially for Zero Series and a bunch of others that I really enjoyed with his works on. That's cool, man. And so um, to just to describe people, the cover, um, so Zero, obviously the titles, well, not obviously, but the titles at the top. Um, and then you have this, what's, assuming because I don't know much about Zero, um, but uh, is it's, he the main character? It, the soldier. Yeah, it's the main protagonist. He's not a soldier. Um, Zero is right. kind of like it's. I would say I enjoyed the Zero comics a lot more than James Bond itself, just because it is right. it is espionage spies. But he, mm-hmm. but the but the spy called Zero, he he has to like 
invest like kind of almost like does all this weird stuff which involves like very unusual technology like teleportation cyborg augmentations that make soldiers essentially not die with whatever punishment they take and there's like all this other crazy like technology he encounters during his missions for this organization that he works for and what I found really interesting with the Zero comics is that each issue was done by a completely different artist, but was able to kind of maintain the story for this character. That's very interesting. Um, and this cover in particular, it's it's strikingly yellow and red. Um, mm-hmm. So it certainly catches the eye. Um, and it's yeah. him kind of, yeah, looking um, looking tough and defiant yeah. and things isn't it um yeah and uh no yeah i see what you mean in terms of kind of yeah the graphic design element <laughs> and um he with his i uh, think with tom mollis he did really he, it's it's funny it's just annoyingly i couldn't say every single issue cover of zero because every one that tom Muller has done for for the zero comics were uniquely designed and had like di- different styles like i think one was like because i think the issue the story was about kind of like a debriefings chapter for the character for the character zero so it was like almost like old recorded vhs footage distortion effects on the on mm. the cover screens but then he did some he did some really interesting designs for the zero comics i think especially for the last paper tradeback version for it where because there's this whole i think like a fungal weapon that's involved in it and um he so what tom Muller decided to do because he did this really cool thing of kind of printing out the the existing covers he did but tearing them up or cutting them up and collaging them into a new image for the covers but for the last one because of this whole like um fungus theme in the last few chapters he actually purposely grew mold on the collage that he made and scanned it in to put it into that which kind of added like a really interesting uh a touch to the to these covers and just made them really these these comic covers really stand out of pretty much everything else i just remember seeing this but when it came out it was just really just stood out for me and and I think after Zero, I've just been kind of a fan of Tom Muller's work in comics. So I think he's his recent ones that I've really enjoyed was uh, Jonathan Hickman X Men series. He's done all the he's done graphic he's done graphic design for the new comp for the new X Men comics by Jonathan Hickman. That's cool. Um, and again, kind of you know really experimenting with with mm-hmm. what you're able to do with comics and you know. Yeah. going above and beyond in terms of you know collaging previous covers but also then going to the lengths of actually incorporating mold <laughs> onto your yeah. onto your covers um and then like having that as part of the of the actual cover i think that's that's really cool mm-hmm. yeah and he he is just he, and i really like the ones that some of the comics that he's worked on that had more of his graphic design work integrated into the actual comics themselves. I think apart from the Jonathan Hicksman X-Men series, the one that they did last year, I think it's the powers of X and house of X. He also did um, some really good graphic design work for an image comic series called versus, but I think it's just spelled as VS. Right. um, Where 
they kind of he they kind of had his graphic design work integrated into the comic panel artwork as well. So it wasn't just front cover and back cover; it was actually graphic design work in the actual comic itself by Tom Muller as well. So and I just found it a, a really interesting combination of comic art and graphic design. Nice man, that's cool. Uh, now, uh, moving on to uh, our next question: uh, the mm-hmm. most meaningful comic to you? Um, for that, I would have to go with Planet Ez by Makoto Yukimura, um, which is a uh, short manga series about near future development in space. Kind of initially, kind of follows the concept behind the movie uh, Gravity where space debris has become a problem during the commercial development of space, and they um, have to hire astronauts to clear up the space debris. But one of the things I think I found, because it was, I found it, it wasn't like a, like a two, there were elements of sci-fi, but it was a very human comic with like the the Mm. development of the characters and the books and all of that. And following, like one of the, following all the, following like each, life of these individual crew members of this one particular ship that's assigned to clean up space debris there's one astronaut on it um named uh hachimaki who who um who originally his original life goals were to save enough money to buy his own spaceship to have his own freedom and not really caring for anyone else he just wants to get what he wants but as like he goes through these events in his life and meeting the, the, all these other people, and he takes on this opportunity to join the first manned flight to Jupiter. But what I found really happy, like really hopeful and meaningful in the end, just because of everything that happens in this really interesting world of Planet Ez, he he does join the crew that goes to Jupiter. And he, through a bunch of events, he um, gets selected to be the the astronaut that gives the grand speech, almost like Neil Armstrong's One Step for Mankind thing. Right. Um, but he, but his um, dialogue in that speech of his speech of arriving on Jupiter was really nice and meaningful. Where he, there's one bit in it where he just he talks about just meeting all the people and appreciating them, and he admits about. He was deter. He like wasn't care- talking about. He was determined and almost kind of self-centered, trying to get what he wants about owning his own spaceship, thinking that freedom. But he learned in the end with all the people he's seen and spoke to and enjoyed being with. He learned in the end, and he says this in his speech, saying, "I learned I could never stop loving people." And I just thought, with that speech and all of that, and he's just saying that this kind of emotion is really powerful, much more powerful than anything else in the world. And I just kind of enjoyed just the whole, these stories of these characters, just kind of making these connections with each other. And I just found it really meaningful and quite hopeful as well. Absolutely, man. And we need, we need that now more than ever. Yeah. Really. Um, so that's, that, that's a beautiful message to put across. So um, that's, and- that's another great one to to become aware of. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, like I re- I re- I reread these books again after I think after that recent private space flight that they did with I think Elon Musk's SpaceX, the, yeah. spa- SpaceX rocket booster and just kind of like thinking this doesn't feel like the hope and wonder that the Apollo missions brought back in that time. Just I think 
just with all the politics of all that but no it's sure. i just with reading planet as it is a real it's a i found it a really good story and and just just the, like a really good human story with such an interesting sci-fi setting definitely man that's cool um now uh moving on to uh, another interesting question that is uh what's the most underrated comic um, I'm gonna have to say this really interesting anthology of short comics. Uh, the anthology is called Gardens of Glass by by the independent comic artist Lando. Um, I think I only learned of his name as I think it was mentioned by um, comic creator Brandon Graham in one of his blog posts a few years ago, and mm. I picked up a copy of the book and just read them. And they, I just found them as really interesting. Sci like post-apocalyptic sci-fi silent narratives with some very surreal themes in it but like a pretty much a lot of these comics are just no words and dialogues but um there's like a really nice like kind of european comic feel to the to his artwork and i really liked um lando's line art for it is kind of very not I wouldn't say detailed, just kind of very um uh, I try to think of the words. It is definitely that it's hard to describe it. It is definitely the feel of like European comics and it kind of almost right. like Mobius, I would say, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Just looking at it now, yeah, I can see what you're getting at there. Definitely. But um and it's and I think it was um just some really interesting co- visuals and concepts and it kind of sort of inspired some of them like helped inspire with some of the development in my work and all of that. Oh, that's cool, man. Um, but it's it's so good to like come across something that really uh, in, inspires you, but also, um, well, it inspires you to push your own art style and try other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think he, I think it's funny because I think I was trying to find more of his comics, but when I just wrote wrote down Google search Lando's comics, I just got a bunch of Star Wars ones. <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah <laughs> and so um but i think um but yes he's he's a really interesting comic artist and i think he did some comics for that comic anthology series a few years back called the island Com- magazine comics okay. that i think brandon graham did uh, he did some he did some stories in that magazine as well and i just i just lo- really liked his artwork for it and just the kind of the sur- the surreal sci-fi designs he does in them very cool, man. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, moving on to our most difficult question, and that is, okay. what is the best comic of all time? Uh, this one. Um, it was There were some tough ones, but I think the one I decided to pick in the end was Kashihiro Otomo's Akira yeah. series. Um, mm-hmm. I remember watching the film first as um, and really enjoying the original film, but then I finally got around to reading the original mangas that are based on and realizing that there's a lot a lot more happens in the book than um than what is in the film but it was just a really good saga and just kind of the storytelling of the characters the artwork is really good and also just the kind of the interesting like social commentary of what could the 21st century bring and all of that and almost kind of like some elements of it seem a bit eerily r- relatable now with some of the stuff that happens. But, um, mm. and I just, I always appreciated Katsuhiro Otomo's, um, Katsuhiro Otomo's art style and his work for, for the books. And, um, 
and I just really enjoyed it. Although I think I do have a, I remember I think when I first started reading and watching the movie, I usually I used to pronounce Akira as Akira. Just and I remembered going to London once. Um, one found this like small low key like Japanese bookstore, thinking, oh maybe I can find like an original copy of uh, Akira. And so I like go in the shop, but I couldn't find it. So I asked the guy who runs the shop, going, excuse me, uh, do you have Akira here? And the guy looked at me really confused. I really. And I, yeah. So I was like, oh okay, um. Uh, Akira, uh, and then I was just, and then I was like trying to think in my head, like, oh, is it Akira? And I was like, Akira? And the guy in the shop goes, ah, Akira. He's <laughs> like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, we don't have yeah. it. And I was like, oh, okay. But it was like realization of how to actually pronounce that title. Of that, of that it's, it's always funny, just like slight mispronunciations can kind of you yeah. know, take you off your feet. Like, yeah, uh, when, uh, I mean, I've, I've lived in America a couple of times um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, saying water can really, um, yeah. can really, really confuse bartenders over there. Um, so yeah. you say, can I have a glass of water? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm going to say water. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny with that. And uh, I think I've, I remember like, I think watching the ready player one movie and the one they're referencing about the, Acura bike, and the guy goes, "Yeah, it's the bike from Acura." It's like, it's freaking Acura, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they if if they're geeks, they should get it right, right? Or somebody yeah. should have corrected them in the film. He could have said it like yeah. that so that people get it. Um, if they haven't yeah. come across that before, but then like somebody should have corrected him or something. It, yeah. was, it is right. always funny with that as well. But no, with Acura, I've I've really enjoyed that book, and I definitely would say it was a. That was probably still with that. The, both the books and the movie have been like big inspirations in my in my sci-fi work and all of that. But I think Acura has inspired a lot of sci-fi for for the modern age and all yes, of that. Very much so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it for for modern science fiction. It's a lot of it is it comes from it, whether it knows it or not. Um, yeah, which is, which is incredible, really. Mm-hmm. No, I just it is just I think it is a good it is a good story for I think for any like both for the West and Eastern countries and all of that it's just mm-hmm. really connectable for and it's I just think it it is a such a great story I would say I think I would I prefer Acura more than Star Wars is my own personal opinion. Fair play, man. But, whatever, whatever but yeah, so, yeah, so. But yeah, no, it's I, it's definitely it's one of my most favorite comics of all time. Accurate. Fantastic, man! Fantastic. Uh, now, on top of that, um, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Um, for that, I was originally thinking of Acura, but then I've realized that's probably going to be too big to carry with anything. So I decided, I think in the end, is a Jeff Lemire book, which was the first Jeff Lemire book I read and enjoyed, was a uh, Trillium. Right. Which was um, which was a sci-fi story about a scientist in the far future who's trying to find a cure for a sentient virus, I believe, that's wiping out humanity, even if they go far away in space. But she, but then also she, with but they think that this cure might be in this flower called uh, Trillium, called Trillium, right. and and also this. There's, at the same time all this is happening, there is a um, 
World War I veteran who becomes an explorer trying to find peace after the traumas of war. And as he explores, he encounters a temple that also has the same flowers that which and and all this weird stuff happens. And there's like a portal between both of their timelines. And um, and it's a it's a interesting sci fi love story. But one of the things that really stood out for me with Trillium was this parallel universe chapter that they did where one half of the book tells one part of their universe but then the other half is another part of the other universe, parallel universe, but it's flipped upside down. So when you read the top half and you finish reading that, you have to flip the book upside down to read the other half. And I just thought that was such a clever design for that, for cool. that chapter. And, and it's, and it's small, so it should fit in a back in my backpack. But then, although I might smuggle in some other comics as well without anyone telling them. <laughs> yeah that'll be fine no problem but uh, that's fantastic yeah. and so uh, along with your copy of trillium what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take with you as well um for that i would take my uh ipod classic which contains mm-hmm. currently at the moment thirteen thousand two hundred and sixty songs so as i'm trekking across the wasteland carrying whatever supplies are needed for whatever settlements i'll be able to listen to some music on the journey and get inspired and and hopefully yeah. draw some cool comics as well for people because people yeah, hopefully need, need entertaining <laughs> hopefully provide some new comics for the new post-apocalyptic era <laughs> definitely um well yeah. uh martin uh little becky yeah. thank you so much for sharing your comments for the apocalypse it's been a real pleasure yeah it's been fun i enjoy sharing them with you <laughs> fantastic and for the listeners one more time where can they find you online Okay, um, they can find me on Twitter or Instagram under the tag name Merton, which is spelled as M-3-R-T-Y-N. Or they can check out my portfolio website, which is Merton-Illustrations.com, and Merton is spelled as M-E-R-T-Y-N. Perfect. Thanks, man. Um, and then, um, I mean, gosh, um, I usually I do ask about comic cons and things like that, but obviously we're, we're in a bit of a, a our own yeah. apocalyptic wasteland in regards to that at the moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, are, you, are you planning to to attend any comic cons later in the year that might? Be um, I'm hoping that they might still do uh, Nottingham Comic Con. That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I was originally going to go to uh, Nice Con, which is the ones that I usually go to, yeah. but that's been canceled as well, unfortunately. As well. But I'm hoping to just save up and be ready for next year for the cons and all of that. But at the yeah. moment, just kind of sit down and get keep working on the new comic I've been working on. Definitely, and it's it's going to be really interesting because, uh, of course, Thought Bubble is is now postponed until um, yeah. next year as well. So that's kind of a bit of a a benchmark, and you know um, that might yeah. make those that are kind of later in the year might make them think that they're going to probably cancel straight postpone. Um, but yeah. what I, what what I think this the opportunity might give us is uh, a bit of a break from comic cons and make us yeah. appreciate them more. For next year no, I, <laughs> yeah i agree because i think originally this year as well i was wanting to go to thought bubble but mm. i just didn't i was a bit too late on the application or didn't have the right time to apply for it uh, but right. i'm hoping that i'll be able to like again save up and then be ready for next year for it 
Yeah, definitely. And make the most of it, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. Um, well, uh, thanks again, Martin. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, hopefully um, our, our paths will, will cross again at Comic-Con yeah, perhaps next year. Yeah, yeah I, hope, I hope to see you again and hopefully next year as well, yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Martin, and uh, you take care. You too as well. Take care as well. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Martin for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Martin's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.